Coming up on this episode of Destination Linux, we're covering your community feedback, the Firefox VPN. Do we trust it? Linux Mint 20 tips and tricks and our famous software pick. All of this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Do 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 music and other stuff. <laughs> Transitions. Road to your destination. Linux. Welcome to episode 180 of Destination Linux. This podcast is about sharing our passion for Linux and open source. Destination Linux is a show for all experience levels. So no matter if you're a beginner or a master sudoer, welcome. My name is Noah, and with me today are the lead scientists of Linux, Michael and Ryan. Let's find out what everybody's been up to this week. Ryan, what's been new with you this week? So a couple things. Number one is I am using right now an application I wrote in Python, and I'm so excited about it. It's a DOS. What does it do? It's a DOS Geek branded stopwatch, okay? Nice. And, but this is the important part, it's tailored to the show to help us stay on time with the segments and even writes to a separate file so that we have the timestamps of the segments so that we can actually minus Michael factor be on time and things. so yeah minus the it can't account for that nobody could code around that that's that's true but I'm I'm very excited about it the code the crap code I wrote is out there on github if anybody wants to uh, help examine the crap code that I wrote but it's still that crap code is my crap code, and I'm very excited about that crap code. And uh, it's, it's working. What do you think about right the quality now. of it? What do you think about the quality it, of it? It's crap. It's oh, okay. Crap. Okay. I was but, just making you know, sure. I finally have an application here that I've been able to, you know, take some ideas that I got from other people, obviously, because that's programming, and then write it into something that I needed and manipulate it and understand what the code does. And I was very excited about that. The second thing I've been doing is playing with Linux Mint this week. So I've been checking out Linux Mint and what they've been up to, and we'll cover that more in the articles later. But I was very, very impressed with what I was seeing there. So there you go. Michael, what have you been up to this week? So as everybody is expecting, I have made multiple new OBS scenes. Yes. And also I've been doing a lot of testing. Oh, What do your scenes do, Michael? Oh, they're doing these transitions. I mean, if you watch in the video version, there's these awesome transitions back and forth. So like you could see this cool transition right here and then going back to the three. It doesn't matter. Anyway, they're awesome. But I'm also working on, I'm doing a lot of Nextcloud stuff. I've been testing like so many different add-ons. I am just like, I'm so excited about Nextcloud. And it's kind of funny because it's like, I've already known Nextcloud existed for years and I and I sort of used it, but I've never really fully dove in. And now that I'm actually have, have dived in completely, can't I'm actually going to start doing some videos on Nextcloud in my experience and like what well, I what think, I think is would be more it. interesting for people to realize is that when you're saying that, what Michael's actually talking about is your entire workflow is now in Nextcloud. Oh, it's yeah. your calendar. It's your to-do list. You can, yep. like, he shared it with me. I can go in there and see what he's working on, how many new scenes he's creating this week. Mm-hmm. All of that They're is there. You're util- you utilizing it as your, your file share. Yep. All mm-hmm. of that. Yep. Can you give him input on scenes? Like, is, sure. it, is it a collaborative? It effort? is a collaborative, absolutely. It's open source? Mm-hmm. Everything. <laughs> All that. But yeah, it's actually, it's it's not just because I'm using Nextcloud because like I, we can maybe make a section on the show in a future episode about like more in depth if you want. But like the main thing is, is that the Nextcloud is my new workflow because I was using uh, some notes apps for my to do's and it didn't really work out as well as I wanted it to. So I started doing this uh, approach to being doing uh, Nextcloud through the calendar structure, through uh, the new uh, Kanban board deck thing that I found, and also a bunch of other stuff. I'm just super excited about Nextcloud's, like the transition of having control of the entire workflow is just really cool to me, especially with like this, you know, there's this, this, the idea of using a calendar to keep track of things is like, so just no one has thought of this before. It has to be the first time that anybody's ever done this. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, no, so it's just not to say yeah. <laughs> of course. Anyway, so so no. What have you been up to this week? I uh, I I got done chatting with um with Dr. Andy Yen from Proton Mail. They have some really exciting stuff coming out from Proton Mail, and Dr. Andy Yen is going to be joining us on the show this week on Ask Noah Show on Tuesday to talk awesome. about. Yeah, some of the great new things that they're coming out with. And the thing that I really have begun to appreciate about Andy and the entire team Proton uh, and ProtonMail is that they're really setting out to, to take Google on at the throat. Um, they want to be an end-to-end replacement for Google services. And so a business or an organization or a person can 
look at uh, at Proton Mail the same way that you approach G Suite and just say, hey, I want to pay my monthly fee. I want to have all of these things available. I want them all to work together. I want to have the invitations and the invites and the calendars and the and and in an encrypted hard disk storage on the cloud. All of those things, but I want you to do it in a privacy conscious way. And that's what Proton Mail is about, and that's what Dr. Andy Yen is about. And so I was excited to hear um, what they're doing and 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 how that how that's all going to play out. So that, that's I could not be more excited to listen to that show. You know how much a fan I am of Proton. Mail. I even got t-shirts because, you know, when I really love something, I buy the t-shirts and wear it around and sport it. But the thing that I really like I'm seeing from Proton Mail lately is they're also out there in social media picking up topics about privacy and security and calling out other companies, which is very mm-hmm. similar to what you see from EFF. And let me tell you something, in that industry, you start losing a lot of friends, a lot of supporters and things when you go out there and you publicly say this company, what they're doing here is wrong and here's why and people should be concerned. Those Mm -hmm. technology companies are very tight knit areas. And for them to go out and do that, it's a bold move. But I'm so proud Proton's doing that. Obviously, it helps them get exposure to their product out there. But that's not the focus of these articles. A lot of the focus of the articles is about these certain companies and privacy invasive tactics and things that they're doing. And I'm really happy to see them take more of a out there in the open approach to talking about privacy and security, which we need more people worried about. You know what? That's a, it's a great point. And the thing is the way that proton mail got to the way that they are is because the way that the technology landscape has shifted, right? When somebody has an idea, now people have the ability to bring that idea to life in real time. And that's because of places like DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform out there. It's designed, it was built specifically so that when the next Andy Yen comes around and says, I have this great idea for this privacy-focused email, you don't have to worry about negotiating with server farms or, or co-location and, and, and renting servers and all of that. You just log on to DigitalOcean, spin up a droplet for five bucks a month, and you have an enterprise server with redundant power supplies and redundant bandwidth, and they're going to take care of all the server administration and stuff like that. And you have the ability to log into their interactive dashboard and get console access to your server and install and make that virtual computer do exactly what you want it to do. Then when you decide to grow your services, they have things like the VPC or the virtual private cloud in all regions. It's available to you free of charge and lets you create a private network to isolate your workload so you can have all of these production servers working behind a public-facing server. Their container registry, which is now available to all users in early availability release, will easily store your private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean with Kubernetes. And so the new way of deploying stuff we know is going to be containers, DigitalOcean, just like years ago when they were ahead with SSD storage, they're the first to offer that in the virtual, uh, in the in the VPS space. Now they are making sure that they're ready for container technologies. Now you can get access to all of this stuff plus their world-class customer support and all of their tutorials for $5 a month. Actually, I stand corrected. The tutorials, they give you that for free. The $5 a month, that's just to actually, you know, use the servers that they have available to you. But you don't even have to pay for that because we're going to give you $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. That's do.co slash DLN. When you visit that URL, you're telling DigitalOcean, thank you for providing the sponsorship to the Destination Linux Network and Destination Linux, the show. We appreciate that and it's been helpful to me. And thank you for that $100 credit so I can go spin up over two dozen droplets or a monster-sized droplet for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. In our community feedback this week, James writes us to say, recently I received a new Pinebook Pro laptop. Congratulations on that. At first glance, this laptop meets everything that has been said about it. Trouble is, that about the end of the first week of owning that laptop and learning or trying to learn how to use the laptop in the Manjaro operating system, I'm no longer able to get past the first login screen. It does not matter what is entered in the password space on that page, the login fails. I have a portable CD DVD drive that can connect to the laptop via one of the USB ports. I also have a disk that has an earlier version of Linux that has been used to install Linux on my desktop computer. Is there a way to find help either get the installed version working again or install a different version of Linux. I tried some of the forums but could not get an answer even when I would post a question or comment 
one day, then wait until the next day to look for the answer. Thanks for your help in this matter, James. So I'm really surprised you're not getting an answer. I would kind of suggest maybe going to Manjaro Arm Forum, or if you already go there, maybe go to the Pine Forums themselves to check that out. But one of the great things about Pine and their products is that you can boot multiple operating systems on there. So you can't get past the login screen in Manjaro. You may have messed something up with the display manager. So maybe drop to a terminal and type in start X and see if that will get you in. Um, not sure what your specific problem is, but what I would do if I was in your case is burn a Debian or the original operating system that comes with the Pinebook on a micro SD card, plug that in, power off your computer, power it back on, and you're going to be in a different operating system because it'll boot off of that micro SD card instead of just the EMMC storage that's also in your Pinebook. So you can boot multiple operating systems. That may be able to let you drop down to a terminal and figure out what's happening or reinstall that Manjaro operating system there. Any yeah. other thoughts, Noah or Michael? I would, I guess I don't have any advice as to how to fix it. I would just encourage people to, as they, when you, when you experience stuff like this, understand that it's a new device and it's, and it's by a company yep. that's trying something radically new. And so to a certain degree, there are going to be some issues with it. The, 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 the part I don't want to get lost because I think Pine has done such a good job at, 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 at making such a tremendous effort at this they're really clear on where they are in the development stages. And I feel like they do a really good job of, of, of telling people what you're getting. And I had some similar problems. When I first got my Pinebook Pro, I tried to install a different operating system because I wanted encryption on the Pinebook Pro. And even the process about how to get, I mean, there, you know, there's the official ones that are out there and then there are some unofficial ones, but they all have different kind of processes for, for getting them loaded on there. And so yeah, I it's it's unfortunate that happens. I'm sure that the community will work out a fix. Um, uh, so I, I guess my my plea is just to be patient and, and have understanding of, of what what these guys are trying to accomplish and and the kind of product that the the Pinebook Pro is. Yep. The last thing I want to add is maybe consider coming into the Destination Linux Telegram group because we already have patrons asking right now, like, what was the bit? What's the issue they're having that will fix it? Or go into our Riot Room or Discourse forum. And post your issue in different places where you know you have community members that will sit there and help you walk through it because they might be able to find a solution for you as well. And many of them are super excited to get there and help you troubleshoot and play with things and fix stuff because we're hackers and that's what we do. So let's move on to some really cool news from Firefox. So they have actually introduced a new VPN service that they have. So we talked about in the past episodes regarding Firefox, monetizing services like cloud storage, social media, VPNs, and all that kind of thing. And they have launched a their VPN service. And it's not yet available for Linux or Mac OS, but it does work on Windows, Chrome OS, and Android. Linux is expected to come at a later time, and the service is only $4.99, or, I mean, it's $5. They could just say $5, but... No, $4.99 makes me want to spend. If it was 5 I'd be like, no, no way I'm buying it at I mean, five. yeah, you're right, you're right. That extra penny a month is just ridiculous. That's a good point. <laughs> but yeah, this is, this is really cool. I, I'm kind of, not annoyed, but just disappointed a little bit that it doesn't have Linux support by default, but... Annoyed? I'm 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 actually mad about this. I I love Firefox. I think it's the best browser out there. Not because it may outperform all the other browsers out there, but it's the only one I think that's left that really has a true focus on privacy and security. And all of their recent releases kind of show that. But when you go and put Chromebook and Android and iOS all ahead and Windows ahead of Linux, which I would have to believe that Linux is a huge driving force to the Firefox community. Many distros use it as a default. This was a mistake. I'm very, look, my, pro, my PIA VPN contract literally was up the day this was announced. And I thought, this is awesome. I'm going to go and support what we asked Firefox to go out here and build which is some services out there where we can monetize and give them money outside of ads because every other thing makes money off of just selling you and your information and your searches and other stuff. So I'm super excited to support Mozilla and Firefox in this, but I can't because I don't have a device that supports this. 
And when you're going to monetize a product, I feel like you need to complete it first and at least have Mac and Linux and other things out there supported as a whole versus releasing this partial project because everybody got all excited when they heard the news. And then people like me are like, well, can't use it. Might as well re-up on my PIA. And now they have to wait another two years before I'm going to be back around looking for a VPN service again. This was a mistake. They should have supported Linux right out of the box. Yeah, I agree. The truth that. is like, so, and so consider this, right? The, the, the VPN is built by Firefox and is, is, is powered by WireGuard, right? It's kind of worse than work, that. They're already, well, it's, here's it's the, using a service that already exists and already works but with what Linux. I, Right. But what I'm saying is there it's backwards, right? The WireGuard first worked in the kernel and then they went and Jason back essentially hacked WireGuard into Windows, right? And I shouldn't say hacked as in it's done improperly. It's done, you know, in the best way that you can in Windows. But he, Jason said himself, it was a very challenging thing to get it to work inside of Windows and that Windows is a, a very old infrastructure where, where a lot of code has to be pieced together. So I, I, I come back and I agree with your question, Ryan, why is it that that Linux is coming second? Well, that doesn't make any sense. And in fact, not only are the vast majority of people that are on Linux, the people that are probably driving adoption of the Firefox browser, but the real I have to believe the vast majority of people using the Firefox browser are using it on Linux. Absolutely agree. I think they completely, this is completely being out of touch with the community, the people who use and promote your products out there. They missed out on all of the content creators who could have been releasing videos this week, hyping it up on their channels, showing Firefox VPN mm -hmm. working across a plethora of devices. And yeah. they they missed it. And you're right. This is such a big failfish because of the fact that it's, wire, it's based on WireGuard, a product that's already existing out there. There's really no excuse for this. It's sloppy and they need to do better. I, I want them to we asked them to do this many, many months ago on episodes. We were like, this is Firefox has to find out, figure yeah. out a way to monetize in a world in which the browser is now completely monopolized by Chrome. And this is one of those ways that they could have done that. And their first iteration of this after waiting so long is this kind of slop is just not acceptable. And they can do better. And I know, and I hope they will, but I think the community should be loud about this one. This is a good time to get your pitchfork out in a nice way and, you know, send some tweets and some messages out to Mozilla and say, hey, remember those people who've been supporting you for a long time, who've been pushing Firefox and leaving it as a default browser in every distribution that launches out there? Maybe you should uh, think about us instead of leaving us out there second class. But they will come around and eventually support Linux. But how much money have they lost in the interim? I mean, I, I agree with all of what you're, you're both saying. There's, I'm just disappointed, and I, I guess I'm the least annoyed by this, but I'm still annoyed. But you know, hopefully Firefox will wake up to this situation and address it. Well, I know their employees watch this show, so just know we're watching you. You could do better. <laughs> Next up in the news is something I talked about being up to this week, which is checking out Linux Mint 20. Linux Mint 20 has been released. You have the XFCE edition the Mate edition, and the Cinnamon edition out there. Now, there's some pretty cool features that they've added in here, like Warpinator, which is a re-implementation of Giver, which I really like this because this can get frustrating for me at times. I've got all these Synology NASes. I've got all these systems to connect and move files. But the reality is, if you got a new machine or somebody's coming over, connecting them up to those things can be a little bit of a pain getting it working. Well, they've created this Warpinator tool that easily allows you to share files and things across your local network. So you don't need server configurations for FTP or NFS or Samba. All that's overkill. This is just for local file transfers. Easily move files to somebody. Michael's coming over here, hanging out. I'm like, hey, check out this new document or whatever I need you to look at. And I could shoot it over to him really quick through this application. I thought that was a pretty cool thing for them to set up. Of course, nothing for AMD because we're all about NVIDIA and Linux. So NVIDIA Prime Applet now shows Apparently. your GPU render and you can select which card to switch to straight from its menu. I think that's probably stuff that maybe they pulled from Canonical on there or... Yeah, the NVIDIA something. Optimus yeah. stuff and the GPU rendering thing and the uh, you know uh, GPU acceleration stuff, that's all from Ubuntu and Canonical. So, I mean, it, it makes sense that they would do that considering they're based uh, on Ubuntu and... But you know, a lot of these features, Michael, I wanted to ask you this. A lot of these features are things that I saw in the latest version of Ubuntu 
Mm-hmm. And I don't see any credit being given to Ubuntu in the article. Is this, are they rewriting everything that Ubuntu does and making it their own? Or are they collaborating or what's well, the story with Mint? I haven't compared the code exactly, but I would say that they are almost guaranteed not doing that because that would be kind of the point, that would kind of defeat the point of using Ubuntu as a base to do that. Uh, but there's, you know, a lot of distros do this thing where they they base on using the Ubuntu infrastructure and then they pull in stuff from it. So like Elementary OS does it, uh, Pop OS does it, and they just make their changes sitting on top. And some of those changes are good, some of them are not so good, and it just depends on what your preferences are. And that so kind they of don't thing. necessarily change it and rewrite it to their own. They could be doing one right. or the other, right? Right. Okay. I mean, there's sometimes that they they do rewrite some things, then they don't rewrite other things. But in this particular case, I don't think they would rewrite something that low level of an issue, like an a low level thing that's a GPU renderer or based on the Optimus support. I don't think they would be able to do that because that would require a lot of workload to be able to sustain that so i think that they're taking it from canonical and ubuntu to do that gotcha so because i saw fractional scaling in here which of course was a big deal in, in some of the new ubuntu releases right the nemo file manager was improved gw the tool used to open and install deb files has a new user interface it That's comes good. with cinnamon 4.6 linux kernel 5.4 and they did mention in there that it is ubuntu 20.04 package base and it's going to receive security updates until 2025. There's a bunch of new features in here. Here's what my few days in Linux Mint reaffirmed for me. I, I've talked about this before many times. Linux Mint is what I usually will install on people who are curious about Linux and want to try it out, but are coming from a Windows 10 environment. And it reaffirmed that decision for me because it's instantly familiar from a Windows environment. Not that they're the same. I'm not trying, but it's just, it's very familiar. The layout format, everything's easy to get to. The menu system's almost exactly the same. It's beautiful and modern. The one thing I will tell you that I, I really dislike about Linux Mint is their website. Their website looks like, (laughs) yeah, it comes from 2002. Maybe. It looks like I made it, okay? If you if you had had me go out there and make a site for Linux Mint, that's what it would look like, and that's not a compliment. So I really it is hope not that a compliment. You've seen what he's made. It's not. <laughs> I really want them to modernize that because that's people's first impression. Oh, someone told me to go mm-hmm. download Linux Mint and check it out, and I'm coming from Windows, and you go to a website that looks like it's created as a side hobby it does leave the impression that this isn't something you're taking serious. And I'm not trying to slam Mint here. This isn't trying to dig at the person who's working there. This is feedback, critique feedback to help, I think, the project grow is that website immediately turned me off. Like, do I even want to download this? Because it looks like they just don't care. And when I see that with distros, it makes me not want to try it. The website's your first impression of the work and quality that's going into that software And I think that's something when we talk about marketing and pushing your product that people should be paying attention to. It does matter. I think that that's a totally good point. And I am a designer by trade and like a designer and marketer. So these things are always at the forefront for me. And every time I talk about Mint, it's always with a caveat. There's always an asterisk. And one of the asterisks is the fact that their presentation of their their desktop is quite good, but the presentation everywhere else is subpar at best. Like the website for Linux Mint, it, it's just ugly. I'm sorry. It doesn't look good. It never did. It was, I guess it was acceptable 15, 20 years ago, but it's not really even then. So please update it. And the same thing can be said about a lot of different websites that are in the Linux ecosystem. So it's not just bashing Mint to bash Mint. It's also Absolutely. bashing any website that doesn't care about the presentation. So so any project that doesn't care about its presentation and in terms of like just the how it like the logos, the branding, the website, the the way that it does social media and all that stuff, like they're doing a disservice to themselves by doing it. But they're also doing a disservice to the platform that they're trying to push, because if someone says you should check out Linux Mint because it's, you know, it has the Windows paradigm. It's really easy to use and you're it looks nice. And they go to the website and go, does it not based on going here? It doesn't. So like. There's you need to basically cover all bases when you're trying to position yourself as a beginner friendly distro and all that stuff. So I do think that they are making very good improvements to their 
presentation for the desktop. I think the previous like cinnamon used to be like okay, but now the modern cinnamon is very I nice. I really looking. like it. Yeah, yeah I really like it. It is very nice. So I hope that they apply that same principle on everything else because it really needs it. So I don't know so, what the solution is for exactly what they need to do, but I do want to point out to people that there are some projects that do take that in consideration. Like, look at the the Ubuntu Studio project. Look at what their website used to be. Just go to the archive.org and look at what it was like last year and look at the one that is now, and it is drastically improved. It, it is so much better that it shows that they care about putting elementary in the OS. Elementary is a good website, or Zorin is a fantastic example. Like, there's so many good websites for in the Linux ecosystem that it shows the presentation can be done well. But sometimes it looks like the website for Mint hasn't been touched since it was made. Uh, you know, at, that feels like a quality assurance problem too. Like, if they don't care about their website that little, like, what else do they not put? Well, in the community into? to help with it. Noah, what are your thoughts on Mint's? recent release I, I i'm excited to i'm excited that, that they have another release out as i've been very clear numerous times mint is not my chosen distribution what i what i would choose to uh, to be and i also don't install it for other people however while their website is a little da- is a little dated one of the things i think is pretty cool is the fact that they do have partner hardware partners both think penguin for if you want to buy notebooks and stuff like that as well as yeah. the mint box and i think this is something that we don't take seriously enough um, anybody can make a distribution. What Mint is going above and beyond here with the Mint box is pairing that distribution with proper working hardware. So people that maybe want to get into Linux and maybe don't know a, a, a whole lot about you know what they want to exactly what to expect and they look and maybe they go to system 76 and they say i'm not ready to buy a six seven eight hundred dollar laptop right now well you can go buy a mint box you can go buy the mint box mini 2 for three hundred dollars or you can go buy the mint box mini 2 pro for three for 349 and that's a nice way for somebody to say i'm going to take three hundred dollars and i'm going to experience linux and linux will arrive at my doorstep and i will plug linux in and i will see how linux uh, works for me if the distribution is polished and you have a, a a host of people around that are willing to help other people as they onboard and come into the ecosystem. Linux Mint, whether we agree with it or not, is the number one rated distro on distro review. And so what that what that means is that there are people that are coming there and saying, this is where I should get started with Linux. And I think for whatever their shortcomings are with their website and whatever their shortcomings are with Polish, they, I think, to a certain extent, make up for that from the standpoint that if you go to if you go to LinuxMint.com, there's everything on that site that you need to get started with Linux Mint. Whether that's downloading an ISO, whether that's buying one of their actual Mint boxes, or if it's going to one of their partners and buying a laptop or a desktop or whatever it is that you specifically want, they're allowing you to do that all from one site. And the fact that the project has has been at it for this long means they're not, you know, they're they're not quitting. They're not giving up. They have a vision. They have something they want to accomplish. They set out to do it. And I have a real lot of respect for the fact that they're continuing to make really solid progress. Mint I love that you're nice. bringing that up. And here's the funny part, Noah. I never, because the, the website was such a turnoff to me, I never explored to see the hardware, <laughs> honestly. And yeah. when you look at it, this is like this is, they have everything. You're right. All the information they have there is right. It's mm-hmm. just the design. Even when you go to their store page, again, it just Which looks is like under something. Which is project, by the way. Yeah, I would yeah. create. You know I mean? It's also it's just, just confusing for people who are just yeah, getting yeah. to it. Like they're not going to, it's not easily to find the hardware unless you dig through it. But if you're going. Yeah, that's the reason it's under the project page. Right, exactly. So the reason the reason I'm, I'm so adamant about pointing out the pro- presentation piece is that it shouldn't be a task just to find that these things exist. And that's the problem. So for like sure. th- they just need to address that. But uh, I love this mint that, box that is, mini. Yeah. Now now I'm like, I want one because two ninety nine is a pretty awesome price, honestly, right. to to have to have a little device like that that you could put somewhere and run a media center off or do other things. And I like the work mint's doing out there. I'm excited about their project. And this is meant to be positive feedback to say I think you could even get more impactful and bring more people into the Linux ecosystem than they already have because they've brought a lot by making the presentation of your website better. And I know that stuff requires money, but you'd be surprised if you put it out there, hey, we need help with our website. How many people in the community? I guarantee you would jump in there. I would even throw my application in. Now you should throw that one out and take Michael's 
but the point is I would. I think men has a lot of potential, but there are some cases where they aren't the ideal choice for me or the ideal choice for me to suggest either. So that's a, that's a much longer discussion that we might have in the future. It's okay to be wrong. Okay. As most people know, uh, after Southeast Linux Fest, I kind of got addicted to Matrix and Riot. And since that time, obviously, the addiction to any good technology that's amazing tends to spread, and that's exactly what's happening. So today we're discussing what needs to happen for Matrix and Riot to be as popular as an instant messaging service like Telegram. Telegram is one of the main instant messaging platforms. I, I, I respectfully submit that there are probably three that are that are really wide stream and they are WhatsApp, Telegram, and, uh, well, signal. those are, I, I, I was going to say signal, but then there's also Viber and I feel like they, yeah, and, and I, I feel like just like depending on what, so we'll say four. The point is there are a lot of different messaging services that are coming up and all of them are built around the same general concept. And the concept is this, instead of going through some sort of massive service that you have to pay a monthly fee for, the idea is that it goes through the internet. And so you download the apps and they all feature kind of the same general idea. There's, there's direct messaging, there's group messaging, there's some sort of audio video calling, and then there is modern expression. And when I say modern expression, I mean things like GIFs and, and emojis and sticker packs and stuff like that. Telegram has largely largely got its takeoff, if we're honest with ourselves, because WhatsApp had an outage. And so a bunch of people were <laughs> looking for something alternative and turned out Telegram was there. And Telegram was one of the first instant messengers to come out that really uh, rolled out encryption for normal people. You could just click on the chat, click on secret chat, and you had an encrypted chat between you and the other person. Now, there are some massive shortcomings to Telegram. The first and foremost is it's hosted in Russia. And there's a lot of suspicion that there are some really uh, creepy things going on with the security of Telegram, and certainly the the encryption is 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 not to be trusted. And I say that because not only have uh, have have security researchers come out and said, well, there's some things that we're a little questioning about, but there are a lot of companies that have actual policies against having Telegram when you're working at that company. They say they don't want it even on the phone, and they actually audit phones to make sure that that software isn't there because it's such a security nightmare. And so there are some concerns with that. And that and you know, really, I could have stopped at Telegram isn't fully open source. And because it's not open source, we don't really know what Telegram is doing. But the fact is that because it's so easy to sign up for Telegram, that is to say you install the app and as long as you have a phone number, it will automatically sign you into Telegram and you just have an, a Telegram account and you have the opportunity to uh, engage in encrypted chat. Telegram has largely taken off. And so if you attend any Linux Fest or you attend any Linux group or every podcast that starts up, they all make their own Telegram groups. Why? Because it's an easy way to get people into the same place and have the ability to communicate. The problem that I've run into with Telegram is it doesn't scale. It works if all you have mm -hmm. is 10, 15, 20 people and you're able to talk to those people. It works just great. Right. In fact, it's a far superior alternative to any sort of instant messaging or any sort of texting. But when you start getting into thousands of people or tens of thousands of people and those people all want to be able to communicate, now Telegram doesn't scale because what, you, what ends up happening is people send a message. You either have the choice to get notification or not get notification. And then, it, and then, and then the messages really just start to get buried. And so the, wh that's where Matrix and Riot comes in because Matrix and Riot, first and foremost, is open source end-to-end. -end. So anybody can host a Matrix service. Anybody can host uh, the Riot client. One of the things that we were so happy to do when we spun up the Linux Delta instance was we actually had people come to and say, thank you for adding another server resource to the Matrix infrastructure because the, the, the actual matrix.org place, we've tried hosting a room or we've tried doing things on there and, and it, the, the server becomes inundated because there's so many people that are on there and so and and i just made a commitment i said we're going to run this linux delta server and i'm just going to keep throwing resources at it and people said well what if we start having more sticker packs and what if people start uploading media i said fine then we'll buy more storage well what happens when we run out of what DigitalOcean can handle fine then we'll do object storage and we'll start we'll, we'll go to aws or we'll we'll move to our own colo if we have to but we'll just keep that infrastructure running i have the opportunity to do that because i can run the server you can't do that with telegram and so I can I can be the the solution to the fix. And so when Telegram has an outage, you just 
can't communicate. And I've been there a couple of times. We just can't communicate. With Matrix, because it's self-hosted, you have the opportunity to fix that or jump from instance to instance. Additionally, Matrix and Riot was built from the ground up to interface to everything. So when I get up in the morning, I don't check my email and Telegram and Slack and uh, Teams and whatever. I log into Riot, and Riot is then bridged to, to all of those things. There's a there's a couple different ways that Riot is able to do that. They call it double. They call it puppeteering, and the way that puppeteering works is Riot pretends to be you on Facebook Messenger. It pretends to be you in IRC. It pretends to be you in Microsoft Teams. And so even though Microsoft Teams is 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 bad and, and has no real API for interfacing messages to other places, Riot has the opportunity to pretend to be you in all of these places. And you can sign into one place and then your presentation of messages and collection of people and stuff like that is all very consistent. So uh, there, the, the problem that we run into with Matrix, and I think this is kind of where our discussion is going to open today, is how the, the shortcomings of Matrix. The, first of all, it is very expensive to set up a Matrix server. It is very difficult to set up a Matrix server, as I learned, because we actually ended up hiring uh, a, a Synapse admin from Matrix to come help us do it properly because there were so many little things. And I think those things will mostly get worked out as uh, as people, first of all, read documentation, which is what I should have done. but also, as as a standard way of rolling these things out, become uh, become easier. But the other thing is just the very nature of a decentralized communication platform means there's no one central place to get started. When you download the Riot.im client on your phone, you open it. You have three choices right off the bat. You can register on matrix.org. You can register on their hosted service that that you pay for, or you can do a, a custom server registration. And if you're going to go to the custom server registration, there are additional steps. And most of us that listen to the show, we don't have a problem with that. But when we send it to grandma or we send it to mom or we send it to our, our, our sister or our brother or whoever, and that person is not techie and they download the riot.im, now there are some shortcomings. So I think there is, I think there is some, there, there's a, we have a lot of room to grow. But I believe, and I, I became convinced of this over self, and I continue to, 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 to believe this, Riot and Matrix is the future of decentralized communication. I think it is going to replace IRC. I think it is going to replace any sort of website, chat, or individual messaging service. And I think there's going to be a lot of places that compete, but I think Riot Matrix is always going to be the center for decentralized communication because it uses Signal's double ratcheting system. It uses the it takes the best from the, the best from encryption from Signal, the best room management from IRC and Slack and, and Rocket Chat and Mattermost and those kinds of things. It takes the simplicity of Telegram and direct messages and the ability to embed media and connect to other things as Telegram does, Telegram bots and stuff like that. Those all exist and combines all of that into one platform that's open source, that anybody can run, that anybody can use, that anybody can set up for their their family or their friends or their their podcast or whatever. That's where I think the value of Riot is. So I, I guess to, to kick off the discussion, let's start with, with Michael. What has your experience, because you've actually been on Riot longer than I have. You've actually been using Matrix longer than I have. What's kept you off of moving off of Telegram and switching to Matrix full time? Well, the big the biggest issue of uh, Matrix for me is the like I, I like Matrix and I agree that what you're saying is the future of of decentralized communication or just even the future of communications could be Matrix and Riot. I think there's a a, a couple of issues where they they kind of fall down for me, and I think the the biggest one for, really for me is the the complexity of getting people onto Matrix is just way too high. Like to, to explain to people how to create a matrix account and then also where to go to get the client or then when they go to matrix and are you, are you promoting matrix or riot? Are you promoting like all these different things? Like it's just confusing. So the onboarding of people to matrix platform is just, is just difficult. So that's what keeps mm. me from saying, Hey, everybody switch over to it when I have to kind of guide them to do it. And I wish that that was a lot more simplistic. So if they were to do that, there would be a massive improvements. And they are working on certain aspects of that. They're improving the way that they're approaching the, you know, the work in the back end. And they're also renaming Riot, which is fantastic that they're renaming Riot because that is a weird name. 
or client of communications. I don't even know what it's supposed to mean, but I looked it up in their their announcement pl- blog post recently where they're changing the name again, which they used to be called Vector, I think, but they're changing it to Uh no, I think Vector is their Vector is like their commercial thing. That's the like the the like if you want like Slack, you want to sign up for Slack, you can sign up for Vector, which is basically Matrix and Riot, but it's rolled into like an enterprise thing. Okay. Well, I mean, there's, I forgot what it was, but some riot had a name previous to that, but it was something around the relatively similar to that. But the, the riot name in their blog post, they said the reason they named it that is they wanted to get people to think about a a riot of colors. Like, Mm. what does that mean? I don't know what that means. And riot of colors, obviously. Sure. I mean, come on, Michael. but they said they're changing it. So I think that's a one step forward is to changing it. And also the consolidation of it. Like the problem is when you say you should use Matrix. Well, you can't use Matrix directly because you need a client to use it and you need a, a server to use it. So when you sell people to go to Matrix.org, they still need to pick a client. And there's like a bunch of clients. They're like, well, which one do I get? I like, Well, it depends. Like, what do you have? What do you need to use? And that kind of thing. So I think the the biggest issue for me is the onboarding is difficult and it's just confusing about like promoting it because it's when I say use Telegram they go oh, okay I need to download the Telegram app right and the and the and the and the phone or I need to just go to the Telegram website or I need to download the Telegram app for my desktop or whatever whereas Matrix is well you could get Quarter Neon you could get Fractal you could get Riot you could get whatever. And then you also need to get an account on matrix.org or maybe an account on another server, but then you got to connect that account, that client to that server. And it's just a mm. lot of steps to get through. So and I think we've made it. the point, right? That it takes a lot to get somebody set up and that's an issue. By the way, Jacob, one of our patrons looked up and Riot was originally called Vector back in the day. And maybe that's huh. their enterprise now, but it looks yeah. like um, it used to be called Vector. But the, I... I've been exploring, Noah, your passion for Riot is overwhelming. And anytime I see somebody geek out about something, it makes me geek out about it too. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to get in this thing like I talked about last week and start playing with it. I set up my own community. Now with my community, because Telegram is so overbearing for me to be able to have, I think I have like 125,000 unread messages or something somewhere. Yeah, It's, it's impossible for me to keep up. People are always complaining and saying, well, I sent you a message. Why didn't you see it? Because I've got a scroll list a thousand miles Ryan, long of DMs. people who sent me. Yeah, the whole Ryan check me DMs. People will even do it to Twitter on me because I don't see it and I don't have time all day with a family and a job and everything else to be scrolling through and looking for all this. So I have a patron only group in Telegram, which is where if you want my attention, that's where it's at mostly. And I moved that over to Riot recently. And one of the tests that I wanted to see was how many people would be able to easily follow but it wasn't really a great test because all the people who follow my stuff are technical. So they're able to get up there, figure it out and get in. But then I was even struggling on the matrix site to give people administrative privileges or promote them or figure that out because it kept asking like, you need to verify each person because I set up encryption. Yeah. In the room. Encryption. Yeah. yeah. And in yeah. the way it was verifying, it doesn't make sense. It's like, we're sending them a message. And then if you leave that screen, it deletes the message. And so I, I couldn't get anybody promoted properly. There are little, I would call them paper cuts like that that are annoying. But overall, the way things work, like in your room that you have set up, Noah, which you could tell it's professionally set up because it's it's so smooth and everything, you know, just setting up and getting into it is easy. You can see what it's capable of. And I think that's the point. I don't want to put Telegram down and say that Telegram's not good. We have a huge community there. And Telegram is far better than using Facebook Messenger, using any Google product out there for messaging or Microsoft product. If if those are your choices, go Telegram. However, compared to IRC, if you compare it to that, I think setup in in Riot, while it needs to improve, is far better than telling somebody who's non-technical, hey, set up an IRC channel. And I have proof of that because I have a YouTube video very early on in my Linux where I'm like, here's how you set up and get in IRC. And to this day, I still get people sending me messages four years later going, I followed your instructions and I can't get my IRC thing to work. Like, come on. Like IRC is way more complex than this, but this needs to be far more simplified to get people to mass migrate. Just just real quick, just, just real quick. I I do want to say one thing is that while I I was kind of negative against matrix and right, I do want to, to just like branch off of what Ryan said. 
I this, the reason I started using Matrix in the first place was because IRC is basically a nightmare. Like I can use it and it's fine. I've used it for years, but there's always a problem with IRC, which you can't see a history. You don't get a backlog, get all that stuff. So I just switched to Riot or switch to Matrix and then say log into this IRC server and then bam, I have a log of everything I do and it's all in one app, one application, one service. And right. that that itself was like, oh, this can be so important to the the decentralized concept of communication. I am super excited for Matrix. I just want them to kind of like make the onboarding easy and then I would be like completely in. Here's where I would just kind of recap or, or kind of address some of those paper cuts. So the first thing is, as far as the encryption goes, you're always going to have to make a balance between security and privacy, uh, security, privacy, and um, ease of use. Sure. And so when you turn on encryption, when you say this room is encrypted and I want all of the messages, think about what you're asking Riot to do. It, sometimes I think we think of encryption as just like encryption, privacy on. Great. That's great. And then you just want, we just, we want privacy to be on, but then we want to be able to do everything the same way we did things before encryption, right? And, and I think what, you have, what we have to understand is when you're turning that button from off to on, what you're saying is, I want to know every single participant that is in this group that only they can read this message and nobody else. And also, I don't want anybody to be able to impersonate the people that I think are making the messages. And point. those requirements, that set of requirements alone, by the very nature of those requirements, necessitates that you have to hand touch all of the other participants that are in that encrypted group. And so if there's a public group that everybody is designed to come in and exchange information and talk and stuff like that, we wouldn't encrypt it, right? Because we don't want to deal with key exchanges and stuff for those kinds of things, which is why Noah's booth, for example, Noah's booth, linuxdelta.com is not encrypted because anybody can just go there. You can go to Noah's booth, colon, linuxdelta.com, and it will just drop you into that room. If when when I do enable encryption for things like the chat that I have with my wife and my kids, because I don't want anybody to ever be able to get a hold of of those kinds of chats. Those are very private things. I want to be able to keep them private. So I'm okay putting up with a little bit of extra steps to get my security in the encrypted chat with my family, but then I can have an open chat for everybody on the internet. The, the, the thing that I want to point out and the thing that I think is really exciting to people is you can do both of those things from the same client. And prior to Matrix and, and, and Riot, if I wanted D, if I wanted public communication, I would go into IRC or Telegram or wherever. And if I wanted private secure messaging, I would go to Signal because Signal's double ratchet protocol is, th is the best out there for exchanging keys and providing truly end-to-end -end encrypted technology. Riot now gives me the ability to do both of those things simultaneously. So I will accept the fact that it's a little harder to onboard people right now because it's very early days. They just came out of beta a year ago. I will accept the fact that anytime I'm going to use encryption features that there are some extra headaches that I'm going to have to jump through. And I'm fundamentally not going to be able to use things like bots because we can't ensure the integrity of the end-to-end -end encrypted message if we go to a bot and then the bot tries to send it to wherever the bot can send it, right? We've lost the idea of encryption. So I will, I will accept those things and take away from it that I still have one place to go and I can, do, I can participate in both of those things, the extremely paranoid security side and the open community, decentralized communication side, all in one place. I think that's a good point. And I want to point out too, and just stress this, that all of these issues are very fixable. I Even turning on the encryption, the verification process, the issue I have with it specifically is that it's not telling you what it's doing. So I don't know when right. it's saying verify to that user. Are they seeing an icon? Are they supposed to click something? What's yeah. actually happening on the other side? And so I, these are very easily fixable issues. And at the end of the day, I'm committed to moving my communities over to this platform. And I'll still keep Telegram around, but I do agree with you, Noah. This is the future. This is what we all talk about in privacy security, which above all else is the most important thing to me. Above Linux and all of that, the privacy and security that we have lost, our, our rights and our freedoms, it is just the biggest issue, I think, at least on my table. And so when I see services like this, I'm willing to put up with some paper cuts. I'm willing to put up with some struggles. I'm willing, like you, to invest some money into the platform yeah. to hope that it grows and that we can see uh, this type of thing take off in the wider community. And if we all get in there and start helping them, bug reports, talking about it, donations so they can pay to actually advance it, that stuff mm -hmm. makes a big difference. And mad props to you for not just setting up 
a standard matrix org, but putting your money where your mouth is and setting up your own server and kind of understanding in a more deep way what is actually involved in, in getting this stuff going, because that's only going to help them in the future for other clients as well. Yeah. And honestly, the, the fact that I've been using Matrix for a lot longer than you have, I know a fraction of what you've learned by you setting up your own system and setting up your own server and everything. And also by you doing this, you've actually given me a lot of incentive and excitement to, you know, get more into it because I I've been using it for years. But when I say using it, I had an account. I don't really use yeah. it that much. Right. So. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm lugging in, but you know, and I guess this is probably a great way to wrap a great place to wrap the discussion. I have, I continue to find places that I can tie riot and matrix into that make life better. So for example, I'm playing with now the home assistant add on. And the fact that remember the important way to look at riot is that it's an open decentralized communication infrastructure and they describe it as uh as as a protocol think of matrix as a protocol and matrix is a decentralized is a decentralized secure messaging protocol it has the benefit of http and json and apis and capable of sending and receiving messages with full end-to-end -end encryption supports webrtc it's a framework that you can wrap whatever you want around and so we we have we've hired we've we put our developers at ultraspeed technologies to work to embedding a website chat so when clients come they can click on it and it functions the same way as the Love other chat that. services except on the back end it's all using matrix home assistant i'm tying it in there so that uh, you know when i have when i have red what we call red alerts at ultra speed when something is down that red alert is now being we're using the matrix infrastructure the matrix protocol to deliver those messages and the message has a payload of here is the time the date the server the ip address who called it in or how, how we got notified of it whatever that's the payload and that's going through matrix and we're using matrix to deliver that to home assistant so i have a little sip strobe that flashes in my house when when those red alerts go off and it call, does the call outs on the phones to the texts that are on call all of that stuff is being done on matrix and the fact that that is capable and the fact that i can look at it and point a developer at it and say i want i want to do this and they go well i can just tie that into matrix that seems to be the answer to everything over the last two weeks and i've just gotten started I love that. And I want to know the name of the person who set that up for you so that I can make sure when I message you, Noah, the strobes go off because that would be sweet. <laughs> I'll add you to the Red Alert channel. Yeah. And just so everybody knows, destinationlinux.org slash riot and Noah's booth, linuxdelta.com are the two matrix rooms you should be going to join right now. All right. This week, I wanted to do a special dedication to Noah for sharing his love of Riot. I'm going to share the love of gaming with you. Noah, last week, you <laughs> mentioned that you only play first-person shooters. Not only, but those are your favorite games, the first-person shooters and the action games and that. So I went on a hunt to look at what are my favorite first-person shooter games because we've received a lot of great feedback from the segment last week where I gave some of the statistics and talked about how important gaming is. Received okay. some really nice comments of people who said, you know what, I was one of those people who said I didn't care about gaming and I still not going to game but now I get why you guys are talking about it. And that really made my day. So yeah. I appreciate all of that feedback. But for you, Noah, okay. these are the games, first-person shooters, that I think will get you hooked. Now, one of them okay, I'm pretty right. sure you've already played, which is right. CSGO. Favorite now, game ever. CSGO is competitive and very difficult, but it is an amazing first-person shooter that you can play in Linux, but it does take a lot of talent and skill and time dedication to really be good at it. That yeah, depends. Yeah, but the, now there was a moment that me and Michael were playing this game offline and we had so many laughs that I think I literally hurt my sides and they were hurting for the next <laughs> yeah. day because we're so bad at this game. But at the end of the day, uh, it's a great one. Now, Xenotic is another one. If you like Unreal Tournament style first-person shooters, where you have very fast action, you keep respawning in, you kill as many yeah. people as you can and hope you yeah. take one with you. This Xenotic is, is your game there. And the great part is it's in most distros repos. So you don't even have to go buy it off of Steam or anything else. You just download it and start playing. Yeah, it's open very source cool and all that, all that stuff. And yeah. and you can even you can if you if you don't if it's not in your repos, you can just download the tarball archive file directly to your computer, unzip it, and then just launch it directly from there. You don't even have to install it if you don't want to. And one of our patrons, Ooh, Daniel, makes a, a very yep. good point that we should tell people how to spell that because it's not intuitive. It's X O N O T I C. X O N O T I C. Yeah, exactly so check that, that one out. Zonotic. 
And then Left 4 Dead 2 is another fantastic zombie slaying first person shooter game out there that you will absolutely love. If you like the zombie, if you're into Walking Dead or any of that type of environment, you can get your friends in there. You all help each other try to survive an onslaught of zombies. You get different weapons. You're trying to do ammo management and all of that stuff like you're in a survival game. Absolutely love Left 4 Dead. And we've played that live on stream as well before, Michael. Borderlands 2 has got to be in my top favorites, although I will tell you it's not kid-friendly. So if because there's a lot of humor in there, and it's a very fun game and really cool shader-style graphics. Mm-hmm. But Borderlands is probably one of my favorites, but the humor is really not kid-friendly. So if you're wanting to play yeah. games with your kids, uh, don't play Borderlands, don't play Left 4 Dead because it's pretty gory. But Zenotic and CSGO, maybe if you turned off chat and CSGO because the other people in the community can be kind of toxic. Turn off chat. Um, Mute is for sure. But also, but uh, Borderlands 2 is just an amazing game. Like if you, It's like an RPG combined with a cool story mode combined with a, a first-person shooter, and it is just fantastic. I'd put it in my one of my top five all-time games ever. So it is that good. All right, let me ask you this. Before we go any further, I have to ask. Over, sitting about four feet over to my right, buried under a heap of stuff, is a gaming computer that I, I put together a few years ago. And I, th- Ryan, I think you actually helped me pick out the parts for this. Yeah. And I was originally going to get into... Uh, what was I going to get into? I was going to get into... Like, virtual reality. Virtual reality, yeah. right. Yeah, so I built all that. And then I bought a uh, the the uh one of the headsets i don't remember which one and i haven't done anything with oculus rift probably oculus rift no no not that one probably the index from valve or the or the htc htc vive i have an htc vive and i have a gaming system that ryan helped me build and i want to put it to use so here's what we should do i just down i i just installed the snap of zenotic what is the best distribution what is the best linux distribution for gaming wow that's a great question because the answer is always arch is it really (laughs) No, uh, it depends, honestly, on your hardware, because I think what I had you build was AMD. You're going to want to have something that pulls in the latest driver, Mesa drivers in there. So I would be looking at something like Fedora or like Arch or Solus. Solus is probably one of your fastest gaming, or used to be at least one of the fastest gaming distros well, they, out there they, they used to be because they had their own like uh, steam custom thing but they're not they still making, do i don't think they make that anymore i think it's still there but just not being maintained i'm not sure if it is or not i'd have to check that but uh the but you really believe that arch is a better distribution for games only because like of the driver support for your amd system that you built because i believe you got okay. the 5700 xt and you went with the ryzen uh, processor in there and all of that's going to have the latest mesa drivers out there which are only getting faster so while you could run it and boot it now i think in the new ubuntu there's two other releases of mesa drivers that are not in there so you could either customize ubuntu which by the way martin wimpress is apparently working on a rhino rolling ubuntu distro that's going to go live at some point today we're recording on sunday so those listening to this won't get this but I'm very excited to see, is this like a pet project or is a bunch of going to do a rolling thing? Cause that's awesome. But good luck to you, Martin Wimpress on that. But yes, I would definitely look for something that has the rolling. Now Fedora rolled the latest Mesa recently. So Fedora may be a good option for you as well. And I'd also say that, you know, if would just to be a quick note, the, that might be the best option for this. As far as the arch goes, Manjaro, check it out. Cause they have all this stuff, like a lot of it pre set up for you for the gaming aspects. Yep. Okay. And, all right. So we left off with left for left for dead. What are my other first person shooter? I'm excited. All right, and I'm going to go through this real gaming. I'm real already quick re- here. One scope you <laughs> one scope me. That's the only term, you know, in gaming. I love it. Um, <laughs> I think Bioshock's probably one of my favorite first person shooter story mode games. I just love everything about Bioshock. I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but if you want a game that really pulls you into the story, makes you feel part of a different world. I think Bioshock, is amazing. Hitman 2, of course, who doesn't want to pretend to be a Hitman? And then Metro 2033 Redux is another one. Fallout New Vegas, Fallout series, one of my favorite series ever in first-person shooter. What I like about this is if you're not a super experienced, fast, move your mouse, really quick type of person, Fallout does have that slow mode, right, where you can kind of have a chance to calculate a bunch of people around and how you want to shoot them and take them out, which is kind of cool. Doom, probably my favorite game of all time. The latest Dooms out there are just absolutely amazing. And I believe might have virtual reality support in there. And the graphics are absolutely insane. You've got Unreal Tournament, Payday, and Quake 
are the ones that I picked out for you. So I'm sure the community has a bunch more first-person shooter games as well that you'd want Noah to check out. So leave them in their discourse forum, Telegram, or whatnot. I have Payday on the Nintendo Switch. I don't suppose there's a way to play that with other people who are playing on Linux. Does Payday work on Linux? Yeah, it does work uh, on Linux. I don't know. I if don't they think have you can crossplay. Like, especially a Switch. Switch is us- is a very rare crossplay platform. Well, these are this is great. I I you really got me excited for some of these uh, for some of these first person shooters. I'm gonna I'm gonna go dig my gaming machine out and see if I can get it running this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. some of these I haven't even played yet, so I want to play those too. <laughs> nice DLN gaming night coming up. So we're going to jump to this, the picks in the software spotlight this week. We have Tux Typing. It's an educational tool to teach your kids how to type, which is, of course, critical skill if you want to help them learn how to program. So they need to do typing first. And if you're a parent, then you witness the struggling of having kids hunt and peck at type. I mean, even if it's not even kids, there's a lot of people that hunt and peck at typing, stuff like that. So just e-typing in simple phrases and simple passwords and stuff like that, it can be problematic. So check out Tux Typing and let them have fun while also learning to type all in one. Now, I did this with my kids recently, and let me tell you something. It was so much fun. Mavis Beacon, eat your heart out. You've got Tux here, the penguin. You've got, it's kind of like a little bit of game mode where you're trying to feed the penguin in one of the games. There's a bunch of different ones, and the penguin moves around if you get the words right so that he can eat the fish that are dropping from the sky. It's just a really cool implementation. It's fun for the kids, and it helps them to learn typing. And look, I'm hearing a lot of parents are now considering doing homeschooling because of everything that's happened with COVID and stuff and maybe not putting their kids back in school. And so, you know, part of their education is going to have to be learning on electronics, learning to type, learning to program. You've got those Raspberry Pis and all the incredible education programs they have out there for kids. They're going to need that skill there. And so this is a really fun, free way, open source way to teach your kids typing and have some fun with them while they're doing it. Our favorite tips and tricks of the week are the ones that you, the community, send in. This tip comes in from Phil, and he says, G'day, fellas. I've been using Linux, Linux Mint specifically, for about 10 months, and to keep up with most of the Destination Linux podcasts, thanks for your efforts. They are very much appreciated. I stumbled across this command line tip in relationship to the history command, also known as Noah's documentation when he sets stuff up. (laughs) The, uh, The Linux history command is awesome by default, but you can make it even better by default. It'll only hold a 1,000 of the past commands, but you can increase that to 5,000 or probably actually as much as you want to store just by changing what the arguments in the file are set. So you can open up dot bash RC file. That's going to be in your home directory. It's a hidden file dash dot bash RC and add the following lines. The first line is history time format. And then he gives the formatting so that it will add the date and then hist file size and he increases it to 5,000, which give you the last 5,000 lines of code. One of the things I'll add to this, every time before I blow away a server, one of the last things I'll do is I'll drop in and pull the bash RC file and just have that on hand. Because if I've forgotten how we set something up and it didn't get documented properly the way that it should be, if I have the, the commands we ran to get to where we are, at least I can begin to, to troubleshoot and figure out, well, what things are missing. Um, and so it, it, it serves as a really powerful way to, to understand what happened to your computer and how it got in the state it, that it did. It's also, in addition to a troubleshooting uh, tool, also something you want to be aware of from a privacy perspective. I see a lot of people, a lot of system administrators or a lot of guides out there that will advocate for you to putting a, a, a MySQL password inside of the of the command. And of course, that's getting written um, to your bash RC file. So you want you want to be real careful about uh, what commands you enter in and, and what kind of information is contained in there. Mm, if that bash point. RC file is going to store a lot of them and you're going to use it to collect a large history. That's a really good point. So a huge thank you to all of you out there watching and listening to Destination Linux. However you consume it, we appreciate it so much. If you want more DL, become a patron like all of these beautiful people in here with us now. And you get a bunch of perks like unedited versions of the show. So if you can't make it during a live recording, you could still go back and hear all the amazing conversations that you're missing. Like Noah did a whole rant on USB-C and why it's so important that won't be in the show because it was only for the patrons. So you want to join and get all of that extra content there. And plus, if you join live, you get to watch us troll Michael live and see his reactions live. And there's nothing as satisfying as that. Yeah, there's nothing apparently as satisfying as that. And if you're wondering, does Michael edit some of those things out? Yes. Yes, I do. 
How rude. So anyway, but the things that I do actually think you should you should all check out because in addition to having the awesome perks of being a part of the Destination Linux community as a patron, you can also ch- become a, get a lot of perks by getting the swag of Destination Linux stuff because we have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and all kinds of stuff. And speaking of mugs, have you checked out this new Destination Linux mug we have for the podcast. Oh my gosh, I've never seen that yeah. before. That's life changing. I know, right? And it's actually it's 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 a double sided at graphics, so it's even it's even nobody's twice as good. done that before. So, of course, no one. It's, this is a brand new concept that no one has ever thought of, and just just like the Cole Calendar thing from earlier, no one's ever thought of that either. It's just fantastic, and you should definitely check it out. DestinationLinux.network/store. If you're not part of the DLN community, then you're already missing out. DLN discourse form is totally lit. If you want to hit, if you want to hit up chill folk in real time, we've got that too with the fresh DLN telegram group. Now, if you want to roll voice chat, we have a, or have a dank game sesh. You can join the DLN discord server to hang out with the squad. Perfect. You are so hip. Noah. Yeah. You just, that was so smooth. (laughs) You are really down with the time. (laughs) That was, that was fly. That was super fly. I'm really trying. I hope people are picking up what I'm laying down. Right, exactly. (laughs) I feel like it's like sports, you know? I'm like, I hope they win at the game that they play. Right. And if you if you want some more content from us, then check out the Destination Linux because not Destination Linux Network, but it's not only do we have a lot of great content from us and the Ask Noah Show and and Das Geeks YouTube channel and Tux Digital YouTube channel. You also can check out all the other great content that we have on the Destination Linux Network, where you can find a ton of open source goodness to nom nom on. Also, check out frontpagelinux.com, which is now combined with the amazing Linux Plus Plus for news, opinion pieces, and tutorials. Everybody, have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Have a great Thanks, week. Thanks, everyone. Yep, see you next week. Everybody, who, yeah. every, all the patrons, you can turn your mics on, turn your cameras on, and join us in the patron post show. I'm totally going to own this hipster nonsense. It's going to change every week, so you're going to you're going to pay attention to it. No, no, it's not. I'm gonna I'm gonna name Noah it. went in there and actually edited it himself, which made because I was like, Wait. is Michael doing that? And I oh, saw you added that. Oh, okay. he was doing it. That's how on fire Noah was this yeah. week. I just want to say, nice. Okay, here, how about this? If you're not hip to the deal and.